Great to be here with you on this Thursday. So much going on and a lot to get to here on the show. Of course, Clay Helton set to be introduced as the Georgia Southern head football coach at a press conference coming up around 430. We will have that for you uh, here on the show. We'll go to, uh, to Statesboro and hear from the new head football coach. Jared Binko is supposed to join us tomorrow on the show. So just a quick look ahead. Georgia Southern AD will join us uh, tomorrow. But still to come, we'll chat with Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network. He had the call of the final out of the 2021 World Series. And, of course, the Braves won. We'll get his thoughts on that moment. This Braves team and just how it looks moving into the future. Bill Bender of the Sporting News will join us for a look at the college football playoff, what the committee got right, what the committee got wrong. He will join us coming up here in hour number one. As I mentioned, hour number two. We'll have the Clay Helton press conference for you. As that happens, uh, 4.30 or so, expected to have that take place there in Statesboro. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, he will join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk some SEC football and college football with him. And Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, will join us on the show as well. So, fellas, full show today, a lot to get to, and three hours to get there. And I think there's a lot of excitement, guys, around Clay Helton and his arrival in Statesboro, the introductory press conference, uh, Christian Gokel on hand. Uh, follow him on social media. We'll have pictures and video and uh, updates from Christian on social media. Uh, but this is a coach that a lot of people know, guys, around the country. You look at his resume, has only been, in terms of being a head coach, you know, head coach of SC, the Trojans, one of the biggest names, brands in all of college football. And at SC, Ben, he had an overall record of 46-24 and 24 with the Trojans uh, in conference play, in Pac-12 play. Coach Helton went 36-13. and 13. So you're talking about really impressive credentials. They didn't get off to the start they wanted to this year, and, and SC made a change. Uh, but 46-24 and 24 overall at SC, 36-13 and 13 in the Pac-12, won three Pac-12 South titles, so made it to three Pac-12 championship games, won the Pac-12, won the Rose Bowl. And I think this is a coach that is known around the country. I think the hire, uh, as I wrote about on Southern Pigskin, kind of a national statement by, by Georgia Southern and Jared Binko. I know a national marketing campaign uh, now underway for the Eagles as well, but a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, uh, a lot of headlines around the country. And I think you have a big, big hire in uh, – and uh, Clay Helton, there's going to be some, you know, questions asked today about expectations, about what's the offense going to look like, you know, what's your vision for the program. So really looking forward to the press conference coming up in the second hour. You need you, the, fir the first thing you need before you even get a big time program, you, you got to have a face. And uh, that's that's what Georgia Southern is doing. I mean, give Jerry Binko a lot of credit. I mean, I mean, Kevin B.J. with Clay Helton got uh, got got fired from USC. We, we, we expected him to end up a lot of places. If somebody would have told me that one of those players with Georgia Southern, well, I need to go with you to Vegas because I guarantee you nobody saw this. But you need a guy, BJ, like you said, that comes in with a winning pedigree and a big name, and you got both. Now, I'm pretty sure Clay Hilton understands that one thing he has on his side is a big name, but the transfer portal. There's a young man right now at the University of Georgia who used to play under him. Now, we're going to have to see what happens in 2022, but look at the Sun Belt. I mean, you got some big names in the Sun Belt, BJ. We were talking about the Sun Belt got some big-name coaches. I mean, and so Georgia Southern, like, okay, well, we can't just have a, a different offense from a guy that's an offensive guru. 
We got to have a guy that has a big name to go along with that. So I give and what I, I think they're doing a national billboard campaign, uh, you know, to make sure everybody knows that you know we know about Georgia Southern uh, in the state of Georgia. They want they want the the nation to know about it. But I give Georgia Southern a lot of credit. It kind of sometimes, you know, you got to flex your muscle a little bit. It's one thing for you to think you're a big brand. Well, how do you know? It's who it's who you go. It's who you uh put your uh. You know, who you attach your brand with. Like, Kevin, we, I mean, we be talking about this. I mean, you know, LeBron James, who did he sign with? Nike. Why? What Big brand, bigger brand. You know, you just want to be able to sign with that. When you talk about the best teams in college football also have big-name coaches. Alabama, Nick Saban, Georgia, you know, Kirby Smart. You know, uh, you know Lincoln Riley and well, Dabo Sweeney used to be one of them. We, we give him a mulligan for 2021. We'll see if he'll be back. But I just think for the Sun Belt, BJ and Kevin, and where this conference is headed, and what Georgia Southern wants to look like, you know, you know, they want to make sure, listen, we, we want to be able to open up our recruiting. We want to not have to recruit a certain player. We want to be able to recruit whomever. So I, I think they're doing it in the right time. But let's face it, man, I mean, I, I say this a lot. And Georgia fans, I mean this respectfully. Georgia is the biggest brand in the state of Georgia. They are not the most tradition-rich championship program. The biggest tradition-rich program in Georgia. And BJ, like we said, it ain't even close. Because two things, Georgia got the most recognizable running back, but the greatest in the state of Georgia and, and from college football might be Adrian Peterson. And that's, and that's so I just think that, yeah, they're getting back to what Georgia Southern is supposed to be. I'm very, very, uh, you know, happy for them Georgia Southern boys. I just think that Kevin and BJ, the hardest thing that people don't talk about is whoever is on that current roster, do you fit, and I'm talking about offensively, what they are trying to do moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Clay Helton has to say today. I don't know if he's going to get into a lot of the X's and O's, but, I mean, we all know, guys, he's not going to – I mean, people say, hey, we're going to run the option. I mean, has Georgia Southern really run the traditional option in about a decade? I mean, not since Jeff Munkin uh, was there. Willie Fritz was more, hey, we're going to run some principles out of the, out of the pistol look. You, I mean, BJ, you really haven't run the option. You're running a running attack, which still – means you're recruiting kind of the same type of players. It's like, hey, we need wide receivers to attack the edge so we can get to the edge. But you haven't really run that traditional B-back, A-back option, flex bone stuff in a long, long time. I mean, so how big of a transition from what they're doing now to a more traditional offense is there? I think obviously your quarterback needs to get a little more proficient throwing the football. And maybe you recruit a little bit bigger offensive lineman, but how much difference is there really from what they've been running to running something slightly more modern than what Clay Helton's going to bring to the table. Yeah, I think it's likely that there will be some transition, but I think your point about the option is well said. I mean, Georgia Southern's history of running the football has been there year after year, but in terms of the triple option where you have the flex bone, you know, the flex bone set, and like you said, a B-back kind of is the – fullback and 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 two a backs uh you've not you've not run that i think you know the big guy frank solkowski said that you've not run that in in quite some time maybe since the days of of jeff munkin and you ha had you know a hybrid type situation of sorts with uh willie fritz and then you know the last couple of years you're running read option of course and you absolutely are running the football georgia southern one of the best running teams in the country year in and year out but it has not been the option in the sense that it's the flex bone with the triple option out of the flex bone. Uh, I do think you will have a more balanced attack. I was looking, you know, a couple of years ago, SC was second in the Pac-12 in total offense. You have, you know, the balance with the passing game downfield, but you also have, I mean, SC, Ronald Jones. I mean, you've been running the football 
uh, very well at SC as well. So I think the goal, and I'm interested, I'm sure he'll get asked, Ben, he's going to get asked about what your offensive philosophy is. And my guess would be balance because that's what we've seen at SC. You've had, you know, the, you know, the Sam Darnolds, but you've also had big time playmakers at running back and, and wide receiver and guys drafted from the offensive line spots. So I think Georgia Southern will want to be more proficient and productive and probably consistent throwing the football. And I do think there'll be a little bit of a transition, but make no mistake about it. Georgia Southern needs to run the football. Every team in college football needs to run the football. And I think you'll see the Eagles do that, but you want to have that consistent balance offensively as well. Yeah. And once again, big in recruiting, I mean, you got to be able to compete in the Sun Belt. I mean, Louisiana, App State, Coastal Carolina, all these guys have, they play, they have a balanced attack on offense. So I think when you think about uh, what Coach Helton want to do is, he doesn't want to be limited. I want to be able to walk in any one of these living rooms and be able to pick any one of these guys. Not, I got to look a certain way. I got to, you know, I got to be able to perform, you know, in a certain offense. Whenever you run a certain style of offense, you you have a very, very limited, you know, pool of, of players you can go out there and get compared to. And think about this, too. This is something we don't talk about. Don't think that one player already on that Georgia Southern campus don't think they can adjust to any offense. I mean, most of these guys – Let's face it, they had athlete next to their name when they got there, you know, uh, not, not at the quarterback position. So I think that it opens it up. And I think Coach Heldon, just like Jared Biggles, probably saying, is, are we Georgia Southern or not? I mean, do we want to go out there and compete for the Sun Belt? I mean, because one thing that some, I mean, the one thing that they haven't done yet is host a Sun Belt championship game in Statesboro. So they got their guy. They got the guy they covered it. And like I said, Kevin and BJ, it's one thing to get a big name. It's another thing, too. This is who we wanted, not who we had to settle for. And so, and when you, and they got out there early. We talk about these coaching carousels. What do these coaches fall? Let's go out there and get this guy right now before you know his phone get to ringing off the hook. I guarantee you, Georgia Southern wasn't his only choice. But they got to this guy. They must, you know, told him what he wanted to hear. And obviously, he understands about Georgia Southern growing up in Gainesville, Florida. I'm pretty sure he understands about that Georgia Southern brand. Sure, sure. And and again, I I think this is going to be an interesting one, BJ. You've talked about this, the. Brand of the Sun Belt has changed, obviously, with the teams you're going to add. But coaching-wise, they've made that that commitment. We talk about it all the time. It's like, hey, if you're going to be a, a, a team in the ACC and you want to step up, make a commitment on the coaching side to get better players, so on and so forth. And you look at the coaches that are in the Sun Belt. Billy Napier's been a hot name, and he is stuck uh, there at Louisiana. You've got Terry Bowden back in the Sun Belt uh, coaching. I mean, you've had a number of guys like that make their stake here in the Sun Belt, and obviously uh, Clay Helton's going to be another one of those guys that has a lot of cachet uh, before he ever coaches his first game at Georgia Southern. Yeah, Jamie Chadwell, I mean, uh, uh, Butch Jones. I mean, when you look around the conference, I think I think Clay Helton will come in with a national appeal because of where he's been and what he's done. It's not just being at SC. It's, you know, you won the Rose Bowl not that long ago. I think 2017 – the Trojans were the Pac-12 champions, and I think you know that'll that'll help with recruiting. And that you have a you, you have a guy that's that that's been coaching one of the top programs in in all of college football. But yes, the Sun Belt uh, expectations are high at programs all around the country. Georgia Southern plays Coastal Carolina on Saturday in Statesboro. Coastal Carolina is in the in the top twenty-five. Even with a loss, lost to App State earlier, they're still a ranked team. So this is a league that's growing, not only in terms of uh, adding news, but in terms of the profile, in terms of the expectations. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying a ton of history. 
a ton of tradition, uh, a ton of success when you look in the rear view for Georgia Southern. But Clay Helton's got to come in today and talk about what his brand is, what his vision is. And before you talk about expectations from a fan standpoint, right? And that's what that's what everybody does. Okay, what's the expectation next year? What's the expectation in year two? What are Clay Helton's expectations? What what does he want to see? What does he want to accomplish? And we should hear that coming up in a little over an hour. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what he has to say about the direction he sees for this program. We'll have that press conference for you coming up around 4.30 there in Statesboro. So much to get to here in hour number one. We'll hear from Bill Bender uh, coming up. We'll talk some college football with him from the Sporting News. But when we return... Uh, one of the voices of the Atlanta Braves, Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, will join us. What was that like? Two outs sitting there in Houston with history about to be made. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Here on 3 and Out. Still feels strange but wonderful to say the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions for 2021. Our next guest called the final out of the ball game the other night from the Braves Radio Network. Ben Ingram joins us here on 3 and Out. Ben, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Probably better than I've been in a long time. How about you? Oh, man. Uh, Someone who's lived in this state his whole life, that was uh, fantastic. And i got to say, from from doing this uh, that we do every day on the radio, you're sitting in, in Minute Maid Park. There's two outs in the ninth inning. You're on the call. What's going through your mind right there? Just be accurate. Just, just make the call and make sure that it's clean. You just want to make sure that whatever took place on the field, uh, whatever I witnessed, whatever I saw, I wanted to match that with my narrative and make sure that I told a proper story and an accurate story for the people who are listening. You know, when you make a call like this, it, it's more than just that moment. It, it's history. It becomes history. It's permanent. It, it's like a tattoo. It's not going away. Uh, that's a call that will be played for years and you know that going in and it's not because of anything you do as a broadcast as a broadcaster but because of the moment the moment's so big and i'm just blessed to be chosen to narrate that moment for the team so you just want to make sure you get it right and and match uh, what you see on the field with the tone and the emotion of your voice and it was a great night for all of us ben the early solaire home run that obviously went out of the park uh what was that what was that play that moment like from your perspective it, it was enormous. Um, you know, we, what we saw the Braves do in game five, it was similar because you get the grand slam by Adam Duvall. But you knew you didn't have the pitching in that game to keep the Astros put, and that's exactly what happened, and they scored nine runs in that ball game, and you lose. What I thought after, after he hit that home run in game six uh, with Solaire, number one, you did what you wanted to do, again, score early, uh, dish a blow early, but furthermore, I knew that the Braves were in a much better position pitching-wise in Game 6 than what they had for Game 5. And I knew that three runs with Max Fleet on the mound, there was a chance that that alone could be enough in the ballgame. Of course, you wanted to add on. But just the ferociousness of that home run, it was such a mega statement in a game like that. It was a must-win for the Astros. And I think it proved that the Braves were, were, had no problem, no lingering effects from losing Game 5. There might have been disappointment from not winning game five at home, but I don't think there are any doubts that they're going to win the series. I certainly didn't feel that way. I thought they were the better team, even after losing game five. Um, So it was extremely important for them to get that home run early, make that statement early, and the way that it happened, uh, that's one of the most spectacular home runs I've ever seen in my life. 
And being obviously, I, I saw you know obviously I saw you uh you know on social media when the, when the Braves made it to the World Series and obviously you you made the final call and then I kind of saw the entire booth just kind of like celebrate with each other. Just obviously you you said it when you first came on you. You just want to make the call, keep it clean, don't make it about you. But just talk about the emotion that you guys have in the booth. I understand that you're going to keep it professional, but you guys are allowed to be fans and enjoy this thing, right? Absolutely, and, and we are. And You know, we, we go through this, and it's extremely um, emotional for us because everything that the team does, we're right there for it, every single game, from spring training all the way to the end. It is it is quite a grind going through 162, especially when you're doing as many spring training games as we do, which is all of them. But furthermore, the postseason is a pressure cooker. It really is. I don't know that people can really understand how hard it is uh, to do postseason games, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, a manager, a broadcaster. There is so much pressure, and, and it is it is such it's such a tough, demanding schedule from the travel. Um, to the, the inability to get good sleep because you're traveling all over the place. Um, you, you, you have ex- exciting, crazy games, and you're, you go home after the game. It's hard to go to sleep after an exciting game. Uh, so to come out on top after all that, it, it really is amazing. Uh, Jay Chad and I are both big fans of the game and the history of the game. And working alongside Joe, we get to talk all the time about what it was like in 95, what it was like in 99 or 96 or 92. And now we get to, we just live that. Uh, we don't have to, to ask him questions anymore. We get to, to we get to go back and look at what we just accomplished and remember what it was like. And to go to the very end, make it all the way to the end, be the last team standing. Uh, as fans, we're extremely excited for what just took place. Uh, we're extremely excited to be a part of it, and it is so rewarding to have been there every single day from the first inning of spring training all the way to the final pitch of Game Six of the World Series. It's just an amazing ride. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network, our guest here on 3 and Out. And, and Ben, uh, kind of a follow-up with what our, our Ben asked you there is uh, you're with this team every day. And to, to watch the journey this team went on, we all sat there in, in early July and, and saw Ronald Acuna go down. And even if you're the most optimistic Braves person, you're saying there may not be one or two better players in baseball than that kid right there. And now he's gone for the rest of the season. And that had already been a team that had been mired around just below 500 for much of the season. At what point did you think this team might actually be turning a corner? Because there were times when people were talking about start making sell-off trades and get ready for 2022. Sure, and, and I don't think they were wrong at the time. Um, I, there are, I, to me, there's not one moment. Uh, there, there are a few mile markers along the way that started to – it's almost like a, a staircase where you just one step at a time, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And if you look at the Braves' schedule, you go back to the series in New York right before the trade deadline. The Braves had been in New York maybe a month earlier, two months earlier, something like that. One of the games was rained out. We had a four-game series in New York, and they decided to put one of those games that was rained out in that four-game series. We went there. We had a doubleheader the first day and then three, days, uh, three games after that. So we were playing five games in four days. Up until that point, the team had not really done anything one way or the other, good or bad. They were not persuasive enough good. They were not persuasive enough bad for the front office to make moves uh, either to gain or to sell. And I think they went into that. With it. I mean, the moments of desperation, the very last few games for the trade deadline, and they needed to know what they were. They took three of five in that series versus New York. If you don't do that, if you lose that series, the Mets were in first place at the time, 
I think that maybe they start selling a few pieces. I think they start kicking the tires on what they could get for Charlie Morton uh, or some of these other guys. But they took three out of five, and they said, okay, let's, let's go with this. We're in this thing. Uh, we can win this division. We're in striking distance. We're not in the West where we've been, we would have been uh, left in the dust by the Dodgers and Giants. Uh, at that point, I think that gave them the, the, uh, uh, the courage that they needed. I think that gave them the evidence they were looking for that they could make a run for it. And they did something that's very hard to do, and that's make four trades at the trade deadline. And even harder than that, having all four of those trades pay off the way that they did. And they just continue to take steps up that staircase. Next thing you know, they win 12 road games in a row. Had a really good month of August. Took two out of three for the Giants. Rolled into September with a much harder schedule in the final month of the season than the Phillies. And still held on and won the division. So it just kept turning in the right direction. And what they became was so much better than what they were. And to me, it was all about that trade deadline and, and the days leading up to the trade deadline that gave the front office the confidence they needed to address these needs. And it just paid off week after week as we finished the season. Ben, how do you explain momentum in sports, whether it's the team overall or, uh, you know, the, the, the guys who were brought in at the deadline all have an incredible success in the second half? How do you, how do you explain that? I think to me it's more, more confidence than it is momentum. I'm, I'm not the biggest believer in momentum for a baseball team outside of the confines of nine innings because you could be rolling right along. You could have a huge ball game one night. But if you're rolling out a pitcher the next day who doesn't give you a good performance, well, your momentum is going to stop. I'm all about momentum in a game, but day to day, I think it's hard to do. What I do think it does do, I think it gives the team confidence. And I think that goes a very, very long way. That can carry you through a tough stretch, uh, having a bunch of guys that know that they're supposed to win, that they're going to win. When we got down to spring training, I thought this team was going to the World Series. I told that to the guys that we work with. I thought they'd play New York. Uh, I thought they'd be in the World Series. But that all quickly changed when all the injuries took place. So when all that took place and you're down Ronald Acuna and down Travis Darno and down Waskari Noah and Marcelo Zuna and Mike Soroka, these aren't just guys that you're going to use here and there. These are huge cornerstone pieces of your team, and that changed the outlook. When this team made the deals that they made at the trade deadline, I think that reinstilled the confidence that they had prior to the season, and they knew, okay, we've got the, the recipe now that we expected to have, and now we can go out and win. And, and when you get performances like we saw in the last two months out of Charlie and Max, when you have a, a very hungry Freddie Freeman determined to win a World Series, you put all those things together, and it, and it worked out. And it really is an amazing story uh, what Alex did who he got, and oh, by the way, you've got a manager that was in his 45th year in the organization, spent most of that time in the minor leagues, he's running the thing, and that bunch wins the World Series. You never could have predicted it, and I think it's that confidence that, that really helped get them there. Being obviously with you traveling with the team, you mentioned you said this team was good enough to go to the World Series in spring training, but what's going to stand out the most to you with this 2021 season that had about as many ups and downs as you can have, but to have this, this team finish – Finish this thing up. What is what has been Ingram going to you know take away from the season the most? I, I think a few things. I mean, number one, the, the storyline that follows Brian Snitker and Freddie Freeman and and what they've been through in their journey and being part of a World Series winner. Number two, I, I think this really needs to to open some eyes nationally when it comes to how we evaluate teams, what our expectations are. I'm telling you, fellas, the, the disrespect, whether it was 
whether it was intended or completely involuntary, the disrespect that I heard from media from other cities, especially the cities that we took out of the postseason, blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind, uh, especially in L.A. I remember being up two to nothing going to L.A., and a, a friend of mine who works in the media for L.A. came to me and said, you know they're not going to win, right? And I'm thinking to myself, why do you think that? Okay, the Dodgers won 106 games, but where is it listed in the rules of Major League Baseball that it's your birthright to win a World Series because you finished with the best record you've ever had as a franchise? That, that to me, goes out the window. Teams looked at what the Braves were for the entire season, and that was their mistake. They only won 88 games. But who they were in April, May, June, and July had absolutely zero relevance to who they were October the 15th. No relevance whatsoever. Uh, I think the national media has to do a much better job of, number one, watching and understanding the game. And number two, I think they have to do a better job of, of understanding what it takes to be a winner and what teams are in September rather than what they've been for the entire season. Because if you really had paid attention to what this team was in the final six weeks of the season, you would have realized this team is every bit as good as the Dodgers, is every bit as good as the Giants, is every bit as good as the Brewers or anybody else you want to throw out there. And that's what matters. Um, I think how we watch a team through a season, I, I think this team is a, is a great uh, example for not panicking in May or panicking in June. You don't want to get buried. But if you're treading water by the trade deadline and you're in the right division, you can be okay. And that, that was the case for the Atlanta Braves. And I, I just think that the way that the national media follows baseball should probably change a little bit given what we just witnessed. Ben Ingram, our guest here on 3 and Out. Ben, finally, how big is the party going to be tomorrow? I'm hearing, what, like a million people going to be out there for this thing. Yeah, that's the number that blew my mind. Cobb County and Fulton County schools are both closed tomorrow. So all the kids will be there. Uh, this this is uh, this is a city that is not just uh, it's a team that's not just limited to their city. Maybe that's the best way to say it. We are a regional team based in Atlanta, and that's very unique in Major League Baseball. I don't think you have too many other teams that have an entire region of the country. So this means a ton for so many people. And when I heard the speculation of there being a million people there tomorrow, uh, that tells me it's going to be the party uh, of, of the century for all I'm concerned, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Absolutely. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network. Ben, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy it. We appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate you. Ben Ingram, our guest here on 3 and Out. We're back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. College Football Playoff Committee put their first rankings out earlier this week. Here to talk about that as we come down the home stretch, the final month of the regular season. Bill Bender from the Sporting News joins us here on 3 and Out. Bill, welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Uh, what stuck out to you, good, bad, as the, the one thing that was just like, wow, uh, from the very first college football playoff rankings? I mean, it's obvious to me. I mean, Oklahoma 8 is shocking in a lot of ways. I mean, jarring that they're 9-0. and They're going to treat them like that. I think he tried to make a statement with who you play, of how many you've won, um, but they may have taken it to the extreme with the Sooners. They should be ranked higher than that. Cincinnati sitting here at number six. Uh, you know, for the longest time for programs from the G5, it was, well, you have to have a big win out of conference. Cincinnati goes and beats Notre Dame 
by multiple scores on the road and they're still clearly on the outside looking in, uh, is, is, is Cincinnati right if they say, look, what more can we do to, to be ranked higher in this thing? Yeah, I mean, they, they're doing their job, too. I mean, they're obviously disappointed with where they're at, but I guess what good news is, is they valued that more than Oklahoma. They've got them in the mix. If they get some help, if Alabama loses, if Oregon loses, if the Big Ten gets messy, um, if Oklahoma loses, I think Cincinnati could get in the playoff and slip in there. But obviously there's work to be done. I don't think anybody ranked 5 through 10 is happy right now. But the best way to make yourself happy is to keep winning your football games and not lose that second game. And, Bill, I mean, when you think about the month of November, it's going to be some big-time games coming up. How crazy could this thing get if some of these teams at the top, you know, if Alabama drops, you know, loses, loses to Auburn, if Georgia does the unthinkable and loses to a Tennessee, how crazy uh, could this thing potentially get in the month of November? Well, I think you just said it. Um, you, you, As a writer, you know, I like to project out and say, okay, A, B, and C is going to happen. It's pretty straightforward. The board looks like this. and. But we all know there'll be a there'll be a surprise in there somewhere. There'll be that uh, couple moments that we don't expect, that upset that we don't expect that throws the whole playoff picture off. And I can't wait to see what that maybe one, two, three upsets is going to be. Because yeah, I mean it could be Alabama loses to like Auburn or oh I don't know Wake Forest goes thirteen and zero and throws a big wrench in all of it. Any of these things can happen. That's what makes it exciting. Bill, you look at it, you said Alabama's already got a loss. They're up there at, uh, at at number two. I know the Big Ten's got to play a good many of those matchups that are that are in there. How much of this is obviously week one, uh, you know, hey, we're getting all worked up versus a lot of this could still work itself out before we even get to that final ranking? It always does. It, it always does. There's always some things that can happen. I think from a – you know, you hear people, My a couple of my editors are like this, where they say, well, I don't even watch that show because it doesn't matter. I think, but to me, it's the entertainment value of it. It's the fact that we can get arguing about and get excited about the playoff, even though I always kind of joke that you kind of know what the answers, final tests are going to be anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, it'll be fun. It's going to be fun to watch the season play out in November. If anybody can actually take out the dogs, dogs look pretty good. I think that's the only thing that's, undisputed right now is Georgia looks better than everybody else. Bill, when we try to rank the four best teams, in in your mind, what does that mean? And and is it a different distinction than for, say, uh, uh, using the phrase uh, for most deserving? Well, I mean, everybody looks at it differently. Um, you know, your four might be different than my four, than everybody else's. Um, you know, I think on Saturday night I kind of threw ours out there, and it was Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Michigan State. So I had Oklahoma in over Oregon because – and I can make that argument because Oklahoma hasn't lost. I mean, Oklahoma didn't lose to Stanford. And I get that Oregon beat Ohio State, and that was a huge win and everything that comes with it, but Oklahoma is a power of conference school with a really good quarterback, and they haven't lost. They deserve credit for that. Bill, I know it's been talks of uh, an expansion. Is it going to take a team like an Alabama or Georgia or Oklahoma, Ohio State that has a one loss and doesn't get in? Uh, you know, either 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 this year or in the near future to make people say, "Look, uh, the Cincinnati's of the world can do, they can go out there and play Notre Dame, or the UCFs can go undefeated and they're never ever going to get in because they don't got that national appeal." Well, I think it's 
Well, I mean, Alabama, I, I kind of joke, they, they have their own set of rules. They, they do, though, right? I mean, they, they don't – they qualify on their own. So, I mean, as long as Alabama doesn't lose twice, they're going to be in the playoff. That's just the way it is, whether you agree with it or not. Um, Ohio State's been left out with one loss before, back in 2015, a team that they really liked, actually, but Michigan State won the Big Ten. So, I think most of the arguments settle themselves. We are going to get expansion eventually. It just might take a little bit longer because all these conferences decided to realign right after we got a 12-team expansion plan. Yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be wild uh, to see how this thing uh, plays out coming down the stretch. Uh, we talked with some folks about this. If Georgia finishes the next four undefeated, uh, does it matter what happens in the SEC championship game for them? As long as they don't get like totally torched, which I don't see happening, as long as they don't get beat like 42 nothing, um, I would anticipate they would get in. And that's we've talked about this scenario before, but you know every year something gets in the way because it's hard to go 13 and 0. I mean, it's not that easy to do. And we've seen a couple teams do it. We've seen Clemson do it. We've seen LSU do it. But I still don't think it's easy to go 13 and 0 and win all your games. So they got to get to 12 and 0 before we can have that discussion. Where does the Georgia defense rank this season in terms of maybe the best defenses you've you've ever seen? I mean, they're really good. They're, they're really good. They've got a ton of NFL talent at every position group. That always helps when you've got a fringe, super fringe Heisman candidate, Jordan Davis. That doesn't hurt. Um, great playmakers in the secondary. Nicobe Dean's a boss at linebacker. Um, they're really good. I, I mean, I've seen good defenses in my life. Alabama's had a couple. Um, Oklahoma in the 80s. Uh, Alabama in 92. Miami's defenses. So, Michigan in 97. And they're, they're going to get in that discussion if they keep winning the way they're winning. Bill, I know you kind of mentioned it earlier. I mean, what does it say about the ACC when it's a team not named Clemson undefeated right now when Wake Forest, you know, can't seem to get the same blood the Tigers get? Uh, well, I mean, they haven't played a ranked team. And I'm not disparaging Wake Forest at all. I've actually watched a little bit of them. I thought they were going to lose the Army, and then they went out and scored 70 points. Um, it's a good football team, good offense. Sam Hartman's experience really helped. Um, I anticipate they're going to keep winning. So uh, I think it's a fun game for them this weekend against North Carolina, though. It'll be quite a test because they've got a quarterback that can challenge them. In the national, I mean, the betters aren't respecting Wake. They, they're an underdog in that game against the Tar Heels this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how this thing plays out with another fun week of college football coming up. We'll see what week two has in store. Bill Bender, the Sporting News, our guest here on 3 Out. Bill, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, guys. Take care. Have a good one. We'll do. Bill Bender joining us here on 3 and Out. And uh, BJ and Ben, he said something kind of interesting there. He's like, well, and Ben, you've kind of said this too, where it's like, well, Alabama has their their own set of rules, and it's Alabama. Well, that's not really how it's supposed to work, right? I mean, it's not supposed to be like, well, you're Alabama, so... And I'm not saying that. I'm saying it because that's the example that was used. It shouldn't be like, well, you're Ohio State, so it's fine. You know, it's like, no, that's that's actually not how it's supposed to work. I just think for me, Kevin, when you when you break it down, is I mean, BJ, we... we the problem, the problem me and you have, and we share the same problem when you're talking about the college football playoff is we thought somebody told us, and, and we went to their website, is that false advertising? Because what it says on there is not 
what we actually see because one thing, I mean, we 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 see these big brands, right? It's almost like I'm not gonna name the biggest sports brands out there, but they come with instant credibility. You know, a new brand is trying to break in, they can have better quality, a better product, but that's not what we used to. So Cincinnati is kind of, you know, they call they call they call TCU, they call Baylor, they call UCF. And it was like, oh, welcome to the club, man. You thought it was just us. So at what point, BJ, do the college football playoff actually do the most deserving? Or are they looking for the biggest brands that have the most, you know, brand equity and national appeal? I think that's a key point when we talk about ranking the four best teams. What do we mean? And, Kevin, for me, I think it should mean some some hybrid of most deserving, and I don't think that's currently how it is. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll have the Clay Helton press conference for you coming up in hour number two. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, will join us in hour number three. And Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, will join us in hour number three as well but uh ben bj the book uh uncommon unfinished out doing uh doing really well you can get a copy at bentroop84.com and uh things going really well seems like with the book so far it really has really has really really humble uh you know by the support uh really really humble by the feedback you guys keep on keep buying it keep reading it keep giving the feedback a lot of great feedback but yes um gonna do something special right here though uh you know I mean, I'm not even going to butcher the number. Kevin can give out. The okay, I will give it out. But, but, but uh, I'm going to be giving away a free copy to the, the, the fifth caller that calls in. Uh, we're going to be giving out a, a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett, to the, uh, to the fifth caller. I mean, uh, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, having to, having to send it to you guys. But, look, I mean, it's a story of my life, a story about the people, places, and things that not just helped me become who I've you know, when I was a young man, but even as a grown man. But, uh, you know, BJ, obviously I can't say enough about, you know, going through this journey with you together. But, yes, Kevin will give out the number, but go to bentroop84.com and then call, you know, uh, the, the fifth caller will get a yep. signed copy of Uncommon, Unfinished, the Ben Troop Story and BJ Bennett. Looking forward to it. There you go. Nine one. Hey, oh, sorry, I was going to give the number. I was going to say, I have to write down the number, too, because I can't remember it. Ben, you know you didn't remember that number. Same I as me. I say, hey man, y'all can call in and uh, what's the phone? No, 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 no I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, this this just show you how much I've been looking at the chat. 912-342-7184. 912-342-7184. The fifth caller will get a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with BJ Bennett. And the fifth caller will also get an autographed picture. Of Kevin Thomas. No, no, we, no, that's we, not part we, of we the just deal. Gotta throw, we just got to throw that in at the end. But no, 912-342-7184. Uh, the fifth caller will get a uh, a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. Looking forward to it. And listen, I hope you guys enjoy reading as much as I enjoyed uh, help, helping BJ write that thing. No, it is your story. You created it. You created <laughs> it. It's uh, Again, caller number 5, 912 Caller number five, going to get a uh, free signed copy of that book, Uncommon and Unfinished. Appreciate uh, I mean, the people are wanting it bad, Ben. And you will even write, Ben, as he said, he will write, Go Bulldogs. Uh, uh, and uh, Butler if I, Bulldogs. If I, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, yeah, if I write Bulldogs, it's going to be definitely Butler Bulldogs. And that's D-O-G-S, too. There you go. No, but we encourage you to do that. Or go to BenTroop84.com, yes. and you can get a uh, copy of that book. Full hour number two will take three when we come back. 
Uh, we also go to uh, Statesboro for the Clay Helton press conference as he is introduced as Georgia Southern's newest head football coach. So looking forward to that as well. We're coming right back. Take three around the corner here on Three and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here on Three and Out, had a lot of you call wanting a copy of Ben's book. Don't worry if you didn't win today. We're going to give away another one next week. So uh, still chances for you to win uncommished, uncommished. Uncommon and unfinished. I tried to shorten it up there. Hey man, listen. I'm listening. Well, Kevin, I, that just shows that I've been uh, I've been affecting you. I am good to put words together. Well, I, well, well, I don't think I put words together. I just think that I pronounced them wrong, like you know, amphidestrous. Yes. And uh, you know, coming, you know, different <laughs> things. But yes, BJ, I listen. I mean, uh, I appreciate you guys calling in. Yes, we will be giving away a book every week until the Super Bowl, until the Atlanta Falcons win the Super Bowl. Uh, you got that many books. <laughs> 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 I, might, I might have to, I might, yeah, I might have to uh, call and get another set of books. I mean, uh, but no, we will be giving away a book uh, every week uh, until the Super Bowl. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate you guys, but make sure you always listen in. You never know what day we're gonna uh, have you guys call in. But yes, every week we will be giving away a copy of Uncommon and Unfinished. Yeah, so we are looking forward uh, to that. Still plenty of chances for you to win. We'll go to uh, Statesboro coming up later this hour for Clay Helton's introductory press conference. Uh, we'll also take a closer look at the playoff committee. Really, with the Braves winning the World Series, and get a chance to deep dive into uh, what they're looking at here through the first release of the poll. Uh, so we have that coming up this hour as well. But first, are we ready to uh, to take three here on three and out? We will be shortly. Here we go. Take three. Fellas, speaking of the playoff committee, if we are led to believe that we are looking at resumes and things of that nature, I'm going to ask you who has the better resume right now. Not who's better. Not if we played right now. Not if, well, if we lined them up. No. Who right now has the better resume in your eyes? Alabama or Cincinnati? It's tough because Alabama has a loss, of course. And how do you sort of quantify that? Uh, I think Alabama has played the tougher schedule. And I wanted to go through and not just say that, but look at it. And I know Cincinnati has... I know Cincinnati has the you know the big win over Notre Dame, uh, but I, I I think I double checked everybody. Right now, only Notre Dame and Central Florida of the teams that Cincinnati uh, has played are, are are teams with winning records. Uh, you have some teams that have really disappointed, that have really struggled, including Indiana. You go back to the start of the year, we thought Indiana was going to be a really good top ten type team. Uh, they they've really struggled and. UCF, of course, has had some injuries, not quite the same team they've been. Uh, I, man, I, I think just straight up, if you want to look at the resumes, I would probably slight lean Cincinnati right now because Alabama has the loss. And I don't know from a data set standpoint how you kind of weigh that if you're trying to have a numerical metric. But Cincinnati has the better win. Like, I think right now Alabama's best win is Ole Miss. Uh, right now, Cincinnati has a better win, and they don't have a loss. So I'm not saying that I think Cincinnati would beat Alabama if they played tomorrow, but better resume if you just take the names off and you're looking at the resumes because of the Notre Dame win and you're undefeated. I would I would lean Cincinnati. I mean, BJ, you don't got listen. You don't look at the end of the day. Cincinnati is doing what they're supposed to do. They are they are going out there and they are undefeated with everybody you put on their schedule. And if Notre Dame can't boot your resume, nothing can. 
I mean, UCF ain't no slouch. I know they I know they just dominated UCF, but that was the team that was, uh, you know, kind of waving the flag right now, you know, for the G5s. So, for me, it is Cincinnati. Cincinnati has to be – Cincinnati needs two things. Need a big-time player, check. Desmond Ritter. Need a big-time win, check. <coughs> and, they're, and they're undefeated. So, what else can they do? It's almost like – it's like Alabama didn't lose and, like, Cincinnati didn't beat Notre Dame because go ahead and switch it. If Cincinnati had one loss and Alabama beat Notre Dame, people, oh my God, they beat. Look, Cincinnati is understanding right now that Alabama, Kevin, as we know, is the wild card. It, it, it used to be Alabama, you couldn't beat them. Not even when you beat them, it still don't matter. They still gonna be number two in the ranking. So I, I just think that BJ, yes, it is Cincinnati with the better resume, but it, but it, but you know, but it goes to show you start asking yourself, what does Cincinnati have to do? Most people thought they was crazy for even wanting to play Notre Dame, and they beat them. They beat them by double digits. So it doesn't matter. It is Cincinnati, but unfortunately, uh, the, the college football playoff committee, the only Cincinnati they watch is the Bengals and Joe Burrow. I guarantee you that they, they have not seen the Bearcats, and they could not tell you who the quarterback is for the Bearcats right now. All right, moving along, take two, better resume, Michigan or Ohio State. Now, this one's interesting because they will play each other uh, later this season. Ohio State lost at home to a top-10 playoff team. Michigan State, Michigan lost on the road to a top-10 playoff team. More impressive resume. Yeah, comparable, you know, when you look at what Michigan has done, what Ohio State's done. I think right now, and we have games that are going to help shape this moving forward, but right now, Michigan's best win is probably Wisconsin. And granted, they, they won that game very comfortably. I think won by, what, 21 points. And Ohio State has that win over Penn State. And I know compared to the preseason expectations, Penn State's been a little bit of a disappointment. But I still think Penn State's a better team, a better win than Wisconsin. I think, you know, the schedules for the most part up to this point are pretty, pretty similar. Uh, Michigan has the loss to Michigan State. Ohio State has the loss to Oregon. Both those teams in the current playoff field. But because Ohio State, I think, has a better top win uh, over Penn State, I will say the Buckeye is over Michigan, better resume. I will go Ohio State, BJ, because they haven't lost in the conference yet, and Michigan has lost in the conference. I know that this Oregon team, I mean, kind of got Ohio State early, kind of like overwhelmed them a little bit and was able to go out there and get a big win. But Ohio State has beat Penn State. Penn State is still one of the best teams, not just, you know, not just uh, in the Big Ten, but in the country. So for me, it's Ohio State because they are still undefeated in the conference. They lost out of conference against the Oregon team that just like Alabama has national appeal. People just like Oregon because they are waving the flag right now for the Pac-12. So give me Ohio State undefeated in the conference. Still got to play Michigan State. But Michigan, like they do every year, a lot of hype. But when it comes time, you know, when the rubber meets the road, them Wolverines are usually on the losing end. So give me them Ohio State boys. Yeah, that one's going to be very interesting to decipher. But, again, they play each other coming up uh, a little bit later this season. And finally, take three. Who has the better resume right now? Oklahoma undefeated. Or Wake Forest, also undefeated. Both markers against them is that they have not played a great strength of schedule. Yes, I think that is very fair. And I've gone back and forth on this one because I think it's very close. And at, at, at first, I thought, oh, well, Oklahoma has the win over Texas, right? And when they played, that was a nationally 
uh, ranked matchup. And what I try to do is give the team uh, that won credit for the team they beat. So Texas right now is four and four. They have not had a good stretch. But when Oklahoma played them, remember, Texas had uh, had a big win over Louisiana earlier in the year. So I want to say Wake Forest, but if I'm going to be consistent with I want to respect who you beat at the time. I will give Oklahoma credit for the top 25 win, which Wake Forest does not have, and I will lean Oklahoma close. But the reason I thought about Wake Forest is because Oklahoma has a couple of, I want to see if I can uh, get them all correctly. Oklahoma has a couple of really close wins, and I know Wake Forest has a few as well. But you go back even, who was it? Was it was it Kansas, where Oklahoma was being shut out at halftime by Kansas? And they won that game, but Kansas really, really bad. And you look at Oklahoma's season, you beat Tulane by five points. I think Tulane only has a couple of wins. You beat, uh, beat Nebraska by seven. Nebraska's below 500. You beat West Virginia by three. You beat Kansas State by six. The Kansas game was ugly. Now, I know Wake Forest won late against Louisville and won late, I think, in overtime on a last throw against Syracuse. Uh, I also think that Army performance is really impressive. Uh, I agree with Bill Bender. That that stood out. You know, when you I, – I think because Army's not ranked right now, you just kind of move past that. Army entering that weekend had the number six defense in the country, and Wake Forest scored 70. Scored 70. So I, I, I think you can make an argument for Wake Forest, and I'm explaining why I'm so back and forth in my mind. But if I'm going to be consistent with – you beat Texas when they were a top 25 team. I will lean in favor of Oklahoma slightly. It's Wake Forest. And BJ, the whole thing about it, yes, the, uh, the the Army game is impressive once again. So Wake Forest doesn't benefit from being undefeated in the ACC. And if Clemson was undefeated right now, Clemson would. So how, so how does that go? The ACC could be down when Clemson is good, but the ACC can't be down when Wake Forest is good? I, I I don't I don't get I don't get this whole. That's why I be telling you it's fickle, fickle, fickle. Now I will. Oklahoma has been very impressive, not because they're undefeated, because we're doing with their backup quarterback. Spencer Rattler has probably played his last down in Oklahoma, and the fact that they still keep it, keeping their postseason aspirations alive because they they backup is not only good. He, he he's a dark horse for the freaking Heisman. And Bryce Young ain't playing the way he planned. But to me, it is Wake Forest because no one expects no one expects Wake Forest to be undefeated ever. Good, good ACC, bad ACC, and we act as if what they're doing is less than because Clemson isn't good, because North Carolina isn't good, because Miami isn't good, because Virginia Tech is okay. That's not, that's not their fault. Wake Forest said, look, you put them on the schedule, we beat them. I know they still got Clemson, I think, coming up, but for me, it is Wake Forest because nobody – Wake Forest is waving the flag for the ACC being undefeated right now, and BJ, I'm starting to come around. Wake Forest does go undefeated. It's, I mean, and listen, if Wake Forest goes undefeated this year and they go to a New Year's Six and Clemson goes undefeated in 2022 and goes back to the college football playoff, burn the college football playoff. I don't want to hear nothing else about no college football playoff committee. And, Kevin, if we do go to SC Media Days and when you see him, when you see the president, just tell him. Like, like how many times do I got to ask you, man, what is it going to take to expand this thing? But, yes, it's Wake Forest to me because it's not their fault that they're good in a bad ACC right now. Well, they've got Clemson and NC State left to play. Actually playing North Carolina in a non, a non-conference <laughs> game this week. I, I, I don't even want to get into how all that works, but that is take three. We do it each every day this time. We will talk about the playoff committee more when we come back. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll get you out to Statesboro for the Clay Helton introductory press conference here on 3 and Out. All across the Southern 
for the Clay Helton press conference as he's introduced as Georgia Southern's next head football coach. We'll also hear from Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football on the SEC Network. Also, Matt Smith will join us, southernpigskin.com, in the final hour of the program. So looking forward uh, to that as we talk some college football with those gentlemen. And uh, again, we talk about the college football playoff. What did the committee say, BJ2, to Cincinnati? Because I, I, we, we talked to somebody earlier in the week, and I kind of think, I understand their reasoning. Cincinnati's been high up in the AP and the coaches' polls. But given you look at their schedule, I think if you want to say there's you know politics involved, if you put Cincinnati at three or four and they don't lose, knowing that Michigan or Ohio State, one of them's going to lose because they play each other, Michigan State could possibly lose. Is it not harder to move them out while teams are losing around them then if they're just already on the outside looking in. I think we lost BJ for a second. So, uh, you know, you talk about messages you send to teams like that. I know that was one that Cincinnati and some other folks uh, of schools like them kind of sounded off and said, well, what else can we do? We're in a conference. We have to play our conference schedule. We can only go out and schedule so many people uh, in the non-conference. You got Notre Dame. You got Indiana, who was preseason top 25. What do you want us to do? Well, Kevin, isn't it crazy that, you know, when it comes to Cincinnati, and they're a team that's saying, look, I guess we can only get in depending on what the guys in front of us don't do. Like, if the guys in front of us just start losing, but then that's the real thing. If the guys in front of Cincinnati start losing, do they continue to try to push Cincinnati down? Do they continue to try to say, well, you guys are having a good season? Because what I don't like is we thought that TCU, Baylor, was an outlier. We thought that Coastal Carolina was an outlier. We thought that UCF was an outlier. No, it's showing every year, Kevin, that you got a team like it's, it's, you got a Cincinnati this year that's doing all they can do, even with Notre Dame on the schedule. Like it's crazy. Um, DJU got introduced to the world last year in a, in a in a losing effort against Notre Dame. Oh, this kid is ready. This kid is ready for prime time. Cincinnati beats Notre Dame, and it doesn't even matter. So for me. BJ, I think it's just, you know, we are who is the college football playoff committee. Anything is it ever, you know, I don't know why we expect it to be something different now because we read the brochure, went to the, went to the what, went to the who are we uh, on the website and said, oh yeah, I mean, BJ, most deserving, best. I think no matter how you try to slice it, BJ, the teams in front of Cincinnati are looked upon to be a better team, the best team, or a more deserving team, even if that's not actually what is uh, panned out in 2021. I'm very disappointed with the, the the possibilities this puts into place or doesn't put into place, I should say, for Cincinnati in that because they're sixth, theoretically, do they not only uh, have a very slim chance of moving into the top four, I don't even know that they're going to get to five or stay at six because you look at Oklahoma, for example. Oklahoma has a couple of big games left. You can see them moving ahead of Cincinnati. Wake Forest could move ahead of Cincinnati. I think it was really disappointing. And to go back to something that Kevin has said for a long time, back when I was, you know, Kevin's so much older than me, back when I was a young child <laughs> listening to Kevin, he used to say, he used to say, why, you know, why are you in the FBS if you have no shot at all in any possibility of any realm of a world to compete for a national championship? And you may say that it's unlikely that Mercer, for example, wins the national championship in college basketball, but they have a chance. 
You make the NCAA tournament. You get hot. You play the best week of basketball or, you know, five, six games. You can win the national championship. You have a chance. You are telling a team that was top 10 in the country last year that has a top 10 win on the road by multiple scores that also has a Big Ten win, that also has a win over UCF, who's been one of the, the modern powers in college football, that you're really not even close. You're not even close. You're not really in the conversation. And you go to the best, most deserving argument, Kevin. I know people get frustrated sometimes when you play word games and whatnot, but I think those can be two different things. They don't have to be, but if you were to say who are the best teams in college football, right? I think before ever watching a game, before ever looking at records, most of us would say, yeah, Alabama, Ohio State, probably right there. Why? Because of recruiting rankings, because of NFL draft results, because of uh, coaching success, because of program stature. Those things aren't supposed to matter. You're supposed to look at the resumes. And do I think Alabama is one of the four best teams in the country? Absolutely. Do they have one of the four best resumes right now? Probably, but maybe not. Maybe not. They have a loss. And that doesn't mean that we won't be talking about a different resume later in the year. If you beat Georgia, you have one of the best resumes in the country. If you beat Auburn, you probably have one of the four best resumes in the country. But right now, Alabama has a loss, and their best win is Ole Miss. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the top four, but you're in it too? I mean, Kevin, even with Michigan State, Michigan State's undefeated out of what some people say is the best division in football, and they just beat the number five team in the country, and they're undefeated. And look, I think Alabama would beat Michigan State tomorrow. I think Alabama would beat Cincinnati tomorrow. But that's when you get into the best versus most deserving. I think if you go off of purely best, right? And I know I'm being long-winded, but if you just say the four best teams, I don't know that results change that, right? Like, I, like, 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 look at the NFL, for example. If we all think the Tampa Bay Bucks are the best team in the NFL, well, if they lose to the Falcons, that doesn't change it. We still think they're the best team. They just played a bad game. And I think when you're finding four spots out of a, you know, a, a, an affiliation that has, what, 130, you can't just go with best. You have to look at most deserving, right, Kevin? Otherwise, the games don't matter. I mean, look, I love Alabama. I have them in my top. Well, four. don't go with the games don't matter because I hate you know I hate that argument because yeah, people- but hold on, but, but 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 hold on a second. I we did our top fours yesterday for ESPN Coastal. I had Alabama in mind, but if you have them second, you're basically saying the loss to Texas A and M does not matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. And it, I, again, I I I I get you say certain losses don't matter and things like that. No, I think. To, to say every game matters in college football, we know that's not true. Only certain games matter. But, yeah, when you start parsing it like that, uh, BJ, you say, look. And we had, again, Bill Bender came on. It's like, yeah, it's Alabama, so they have a different set of rules. Well, no, 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 no. That's not how this thing was set up. We don't we don't go to Bill Hancock and go, Bill, what's the rules? Well, this is how we're going to do it. And then, you know, Alabama's over here. They get the – no, you don't get separate rules. You lost. I think that should carry some consequences to it. I get that it's Alabama. I get that they could probably beat everybody in college football 99% of the time, but they didn't. Not this year. And again, in a year where you have a bunch, and you say, well, how's that fair? Look, some of this is going to work itself out. You're not going to end the season with all these undefeateds hanging around in the top 10. But for now, for right now, November 3rd, 4th, whatever day it is, November 4th, it should matter that Alabama lost a game. 
Uh, so, and, and apparently he doesn't. And again, I don't think that's necessarily what we set out to do. And again, BJ, that's why I know you can go, I can go back and forth. I'm such a proponent of conference champions because conference champions do it on the field. And you could say, well, what about this? Well, if we, if we use the college football logic, the Braves aren't World Series champions. Why? Well, I mean, the Dodgers won 20 more games than they did. So they shouldn't be world champions because the Dodgers won 20 more games than they did. Yeah, but when it mattered, we got into the playoff, and you did not beat us in a playoff. On the field, you did not beat us when it mattered. And that's why I'm a fan of conference champions, because despite anybody's griping and complaining, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Florida State, Duke, all have the same chance to win the ACC. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Georgia, Bama, Missouri, all have the same chance to win the SEC. And you either do it or you don't on the field. And, again, I, I would like to get to that point. I know you can argue. I think that's why four is not enough to really get to that point. But, uh, yeah, to have a one-loss team when you still have so many undefeateds out there at two, I, I would maybe hear that Alabama's in. But to have them at two I think is a little bit disingenuous to the process uh, that we're trying to put together here. We'll step aside. Got to get you to Statesboro for the Clay Helton presser. We'll get to that when we return here on 3 and Out. And out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, we send you out to Statesboro where Clay Helton is talking to the media at his introductory press conference here as the Georgia Southern head football coach. Josh Aubrey with the Statesboro Herald. Mm -hmm. You go from a school that's among the tops as far as athletic budget in the country to a school that's in the bottom five or so of the Sunbelt Conference. Is that a concern for you at all when you took the job? And what kind of hurdles do you feel like that will have for you? None whatsoever. This, this university was founded on blue-collar toughness and, and community and spirit and work ethic. And the fact of the matter is there's special. I could draw a 250-mile circle around this town. And there are special people that are not only willing to help, but special players that love to be a part of this university. We'll recruit the best student athletes that can help us win championships. We'll do it the right way, and and we'll and we'll save Jared some money doing it too, <laughs> because they're going to be right here, right here from the southeast, right here from our home. Uh, bring them right here and keep them in, in the state of Georgia. Hey, Coach Connor Delpreet, WSAV down in Savannah. Uh, the transition from Los Angeles and Southern California to Statesboro, not one that many people do. How has it been on you and how has it been on the family so far? Has it been rough at all or has it been smooth sailing? Well, you can tell by my twang, I'm not originally from California. Uh, I was born in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, my, my mom and dad live in Everglades City, Florida, which I'll have to take you there one day. You, you think there's gnats, there's, there's big mosquitoes down there that we can get to know. Uh, you know, so to be back to to be back in an area which I called home for a long time is very special for me and my family, and we're so excited about it. Um, I can't tell you the number of people that have reached out to me uh, that have said. Coach, you're going to absolutely love Statesboro, be a part of this great university. Uh, and I have felt it from the, I mean, from the second we touched down, from the second that we got to know this great leadership, it's just been so special, you know. So to be back home in, in the southeast and to get a chance to be here, are you kidding me? Uh, like I told Jared, I, I would have walked from California to get here if he told me to. And so it's 
it's it's a great opportunity for me and my family, and and we can't wait to get started. Coach Josh Aubrey again. The uh, offense, of course, at Georgia Southern has predominantly been mm -hmm. the triple option or some form of the option. Mm -hmm. There's only been, I think, two coaches that were hired that didn't have an option background mm -hmm. when they got here. Obviously, you have you do not have an option background. <laughs> These guys that have been recruited for years here, that's what they know. Mm -hmm. How tough of a transition yeah. is it going to be for you to turn Georgia Southern from an option-based offense to what you envision? And do you feel like that is going to be a, an instant transformation or something that's going to take some time? You know, one of the things, and I, I thought Jared did a wonderful job in, in, in the selection, you know, in looking at it, you know, we discussed having the opportunity to take our personnel and to fit our personnel with what we want to do. I don't think any time you come into a place, you just say, oh, we're going to run this system. You know, um, it, when I was at the University of Memphis, uh, we had the great honor of signing an unbelievable running back by the name of D'Angelo Williams. And, and we rode him to five straight bowl games that hadn't been done in 32 years with a very physical run game. I had a chance at USC uh, as an offensive coordinator, then the head coach, to be around a, a young man named Ronald Jones who just got done winning a Super Bowl with, with Tampa Bay. And those two men, you know, set records at both universities. Uh, looking at, at our strengths um, uh, after watching a ton of tape already, obviously we have have a physical run game here with some talented running backs, a really nasty offensive line and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I'm going to give the quarterbacks that, that are here, Justin and Cam are talented throwing the ball down the field and they're going to get those opportunities it's okay to run the ball extremely physically and then throw it over everybody's head, you know, that creates explosiveness so make the defense decide what they want to do you want to stop the run then we've got some talented guys that are going to go really far down the field to catch the ball and then if you back off a little bit get ready because you're getting a big offensive lineman and some backs that are going to run down your throat um so you know i've i've had those opportunities you and you build offenses based on where your personnel is you know and so with what i see we can be a physical run team right now you know and be able to be explosive down the field will there be some option opportunities in there yes not dive option opportunities but with these athletic quarterbacks there's going to be a couple option driven plays it may be quarterback option off a defender uh, it may be run pass option off a defender or it could be quarterback driven run game uh, that that these guys are, are very capable of so we're going to put a great staff together that focuses on our strengths as an offense right now and then be able to recruit to those strengths. Thanks for that question. Good one. Coach Frank Solkowski again from Savannah, WJCL. Uh, you're coming into a Sunbelt conference that's getting a lot of exposure. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the expansion that's underway, mm -hmm. nationally ranked teams. Talk about that mm -hmm. challenge coming into mm -hmm. what a lot of people believe is the top group of five program mm -hmm. in the country. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, it was one of the things that really excited me is the conference. Um, really great credit to, to Keith Gill and what he's doing. You know, you see conferences across the country that are dividing. Our conference is gathering. 
You know, it, you look at being able to be at, at Georgia Southern that has this 40-year tradition of being able to win six national championships and since 2014 already won three bowl games. Start with that. And then you've got two other teams that are playing really good football right now in Lafayette and Coastal, Coastal Carolina, two top 25 teams, as well as starting to garner other, other universities. Instead of a, a, a conference that's breaking up, this conference is getting stronger by the teams that it's talking about adding. Plus the coaches that that have come in, you know, whether it's Billy, whether it's Coach Jones, there's some tremendous ball coaches that that are part of this conference, and it's just getting stronger by the day. And it's one of the big things that really interested me when when looking at the job. I was like, wow, this is not only a special university and a special place, but look at this conference and where it's going and the national attention that it is getting. And that's where we want to be able to take Georgia Southern is to be a part of that national story. Hi, right, Coach. Nathan Dominance from the Savannah Morning News. A couple questions, if I may. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you've been around the, the relatively small world of college football your whole life. Mm -hmm. um, was there a moment when deciding whether to come to Georgia Southern, was there, there, was there like one moment that mm -hmm. tipped the scales? Maybe it was something your family said or some decision you guys came together or, or you said, I know, I know what to do. Uh, I'm going to be real. You're going to get to know me. I'm a brutally honest guy. That's right? what we like. Yeah. So uh, it happened in the first phone call. Um, I had a I had a call from uh, uh, my agent Jimmy Sexton and, and said, Coach, do you mind taking a call from Jared? And I said, I'd love to. Uh, it's a great place, and I'd like to get to know a good person. Uh, and it was supposed to be about a 10-minute conversation that lasted over an hour. And when I and when we hung up the phone, I I got really excited. And I said, that's a place that I would really like to be. Uh, and then as we went through the process, which was an amazing process, and it showed me how special these people are, whether it was with Jared one-on-one, -on -one, whether it was with his committee, I've never, ever sat down with a president and him give me over an hour of his time and share thoughts and vision uh, and see how important this place is. Uh, you know, but the first phone call, just the genuineness and the realness of Jared and seeing his vision and then seeing it aligned with President Marrero, it, it's, uh, I, I'm usually a hard sell. That It was a really easy sell. Like I said, I got up the phone and said, I'll walk there right now. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, I think we can all relate. If you, it's, It may be a great job, but if you don't have a great boss, it's not a great job. Yes, no question. Be surrounded by great people. Uh, second question, uh, given, again, your knowledge of uh, being around college football, your dad being a coach mm -hmm. for so long, how do you look back at the relatively recent South Car Southern Cal experience, knowing all that entailed from beginning to end? Do you look at it as that's just how business is done, or, or how do you, as on a personal level, handle so much success, yet you still got fired? I cherish every moment uh, that I was at USC. I was surrounded by unbelievable people and got to be there for 12 seasons. Met some special players, special coaches, special leadership. Uh, I got the honor to meet uh, Mr. Pat Hayden, Mr. Lynn Swan, Mr. Mike Bone. Um, even, even, with, uh, even with Mike uh, Bone and Brandon Sosna, the resources that they gave us as a coaching staff and how things were built, even in my departure they gave us every opportunity uh to be great and you know we got 12 great games uh with mike and went nine and three but we lost a championship game uh and, and that's football 
that's football. Uh, you know, um, there's high expectations in this game, and I've always welcomed them. Always. Just like I welcome this great expectation and the standard of excellence that this great university is. Championships are demanded at this place is what drives this place. And I welcome those expectations. So, yes, it, it was a wonderful opportunity at USC. I cherish every moment, every relationship. I thank Matt, Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna for the support that they gave me, my staff, our players, all the way through. They had a decision to make that they thought was best for the university, and they made it. Now, I just got to make a decision that was best for me and my family. And I can't wait for this next adventure. Can't wait to get started with it. And that's how I look at the game. God closes one door, he opens up another. And wow, did he open up a great door. Coach, Jake Wallace with WTOC in Savannah. You mentioned your staff. You're in a kind of a unique position being hired this early in the process. Mm -hmm. How do you go about over the next few months putting together a staff while every other team is still in season, especially with that early December signing day in mind? Yeah, I I thought, again, I go to Jared's proactiveness and the university's proactiveness here. I I got to be a part of experience while I was at USC um, that I thought was very unique um, when Coach Sarkeesian uh, came in, and, and um, I was the interim head coach at the time, and uh, and he got to witness us go through three weeks of of bowl game preparation uh, at the time. He got to evaluate uh, our players, uh, just like I'm going to get to have the chance to to watch practice and be able to see what type of players they are. You know, what type of teammates they are, what type of leaders are, are they, how competitive, you know, they are. And I just told the guys that that's a great opportunity. You also get to watch great coaches that are out there coach and, and be able to see what type of fits may may be there for your staff. Uh, but right now it's about the building of relationships. It's about recruiting. It's about evaluation. Uh, and it's about giving the honor and respect to a group of men uh, that have given their heart and soul to this team. And let's honor and respect this team um, the next four games uh, because college kids, they only get this experience one time. Coaches, we go around just like I was at USC and now I'm here. Uh, those guys, they're going to get the, those players are going to get this opportunity one team, time. So I want to make it about them. What I am going to do is to be able to have those, that, those evaluations. Coaches, players, uh, you know, be able to recruit, uh, be able to see our strengths, be able to see our areas of growth, and be able to put the best staff together for us over the next month. Uh, so when we hit December, we hit the ground running. This is going to be our last question for Coach, and then we're going to bring up Jared. Coach, Christian Gokel with ESPN Coastal. You had mentioned the players in the NFL talent just within a 100-mile radius. Mm -hmm. What is your recruiting pitch to keep them from leaving this area, and how much could a 12-team playoff have to do with that? (laughs) I'm going to tell you what, you're good. (laughs) Uh, No, I – you know (laughs) – This is an easy sell uh, when you talk about uh, Georgia Southern uh, because you talk about, like I said, uh, it's a proven commodity. You know, it's won championships. It's been at the highest of the highs. You know, plus when you look at this place and you see the quality of education you get and you see the network, and some people say, oh, yeah, we have a great network. We not only have a network, we have family here. People that are not going to, it's not a four-year experience. This is a 40, 50, 60 lifetime experience. 
I've had so many Georgia Southern people just reach out to me, family, reach out and say, Coach, man, we're honored to have you. You know, you can feel the relationships that are part of it. This place is with you for life, you know, and what it can do for you is not just within four years. It's going to help you the rest of, uh, rest of your life. You know, I talked about the strength of the conference and where it's going, and you see this strength and top 25 teams being made and talked about and being the national story. You know, the reality in college football right now is it is a four-game playoff. Uh, but the future is coming, and those talks, just like uh, just like uh, whether it's ESPN or other national media, you know, it's something I think that is wanted uh, by fan bases. It's wanted uh, by the national landscape, and will happen at some point in time. But we as coaches have to deal in reality. Right now, we have to find a way to be one of those four teams, and, and, and it starts with building a great football team that wins conference championships consistently, becomes a national story when given the opportunity to play Power 5 teams, go make your name. You know, So we look forward to those opportunities and the opportunity to compete. That's Clay Helton at his introductory uh, press conference, and uh, we got to hear some of those comments about his vision for Georgia Southern. We'll react to that and more when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. BJ, your thoughts there? We heard Clay Helton. We'll obviously hear from Jared Binko tomorrow, Georgia Southern AD on the hire. And uh, we are expected to have Clay Helton next week on the show to, uh, to join us here on 3 and Out. But we'll get you know Jared Binko's uh, story on how he came to, to get to Clay Helton and, and more tomorrow on the show. But initial thoughts, you heard Clay Helton kind of talking about why Georgia Southern for him, what he expects the program can do and can be, and kind of what he wants to do here. I thought it was awesome. You know, I thought there was great passion, great energy, uh, great, great perspective to hear Coach Helton talk about SC and kind of talk about how it ended, but, but reflect fondly on many memories and the success he had in L.A. and to talk about the opportunities in Statesboro, to talk about uh, you know, Christian's question there at the end to talk about, you know, we have a brand to sell. We have, you know, a, a, a program that is one of the most unique special programs. I mean, when you think about all that Georgia Southern has done and all that Georgia Southern has accomplished, to hear him talk about the relationships, uh, talked about how he and, you know, Jared Binko already have a great relationship, uh, to talk about just the opportunities. And I thought got into some detail, talking about offenses potentially, said, hey, we may have some read option, probably not dive option, but we may have you know a couple of different things. We're going to give guys a chance to throw it downfield and showcase their athleticism. I thought it was really insightful. And I think if, if, if you're listening to that and you're a Georgia Southern fan, you're excited, Ben. I mean, you're fired up. You're, you're ready to go. And listen, you still have a season to finish out with, with Coach Whitley and Coastal Carolina uh, in town this weekend, a top 25 team and, and big time opportunities there. So a lot going on in Statesboro, but I think those comments really uplifting, really exciting, and uh, you know a lot of opti- uh, optimism around around Georgia Southern football. Man, great praise for Jared, uh, Jared Binko when he was saying, "Look, it, <laughs> he's a hard sell." Jared Binko gets on the phone when it was supposed to be a ten minute conversation. I mean, uh, it came came up, you know over an hour, and then he was got off the phone. He said, "I would have walked there." Uh, he talked about it was all about his family. It was all about. He was saying that uh, Georgia Southern is an easy sell, saying I could draw a 200 and, you know, I could draw a line around this entire campus. It's all about the family here. It's all about, you know, what Georgia Southern and what these fans mean, 
how many people have reached out to him. I showed Kevin when he was walking on campus. I mean, uh, some guy want to be the first one to say G-A-T-A, uh, the coach. I mean, you talk about the traditions. And sometimes, you know, Kevin and BJ, we forget the fact that, look, Georgia Southern is a premier coaching spot. We get – I think we have to be reprogrammed sometimes because we go, yeah, but he was at SC. But he also said, I'm a head coach, man. I'm going to land on my feet, right? I went from I went from SC to South Carolina. He said, you see my twang. I mean, it ain't like I'm from California. <laughs> I mean, thank God. I, you know, I'm pretty sure his, uh, his previous staff was littered with a bunch of guys that sound like the households he was walking into. Well, he don't have to worry about that now as far as, like, where he's going to be recruiting. But I like the fact that he said everybody's going to be evaluated from the coaches and the players. I get to go to practice, and nothing is more motivating to have the new guy out there watching you. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, Kevin, if you don't, you know, I mean, if you're talking about first impressions, I think he made a lasting impression with that opening press conference. Yeah, and, again, you got to start by winning the press conference before you win your, your first game. And uh, Clay Hilton off to a uh, good start there in Statesboro. we got more to come. Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart going to join us when we come back. Matt Smith, the final hour as well. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you here, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day here in the final hour. We'll hear from Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. We'll hear from Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football on the SEC Network, Network excuse me, here momentarily. And certainly uh, talk to him, Ben, about the college football playoff. You got two SEC teams sitting there, one and two in Georgia and Alabama. And, uh, again, a lot of big games still left to be played here in 2021. Yeah, the SEC, BJ, I mean, it's kind of making Alabama, like, validate where they are at number two, even though we know it's because they Alabama. You got a lot of teams, I mean, in that top 15, top 20 in the SEC with Auburn still having to play Auburn. Obviously, you know, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, different teams up there. But, I mean, BJ, at a certain point, the college football playoff committee, they either are who they claim to be or they are who they have shown themselves to be over the years, still kind of got this mistaken identity, but Alabama still seems to be that wild card. Undefeated or one loss, they find a way to be a top four team no matter what. And looking ahead, I think the most interesting scenario would be what was, I think, brought up by one of our guests earlier in the week, Kevin Ben. What happens if Alabama wins out the regular season, so they beat Auburn, that's another good win. Georgia wins out, and then it's a three-point game, a Georgia win, 20-17 to 17 in the SEC title game, given that Bama's number two right now, if they play Georgia within a, you know, a couple, of, couple of plays, could they get in as a two-loss team, potentially? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We have uh, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football on the SEC Network, joining us here on 3 and Out. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm doing Glad to have you here. Georgia number one in the first rankings. I know you've covered college football a long time and watched that Georgia program for a long time as well. Is this the best team that Georgia has had uh, in quite some time that, that Kirby Smart has assembled dominating college football right now? Well, there's no question that Georgia's the best team in the country, and the gap between them and Alabama is is there, and them and the rest of the country is there. But in terms of greatest teams ever, we'll have to wait and see because uh, – some of the 1980s teams under Vince Dooley were outstanding, including the ones with uh, Herschel Walker. The 02 team under Mark Rick was good. And the 2017 team that almost won the national championship was a great team. Uh, Tony, obviously injuries to JT Daniels. You've seen Stetson Bennett come in, be really proficient. Uh, how do you evaluate the job Bennett has done uh, this season for Georgia and uh, potentially moving forward? 
Well, I think if you, Stetson Bennett, somebody asked me the other day about, talk to me about Georgia's quarterback controversy. I said, there's not a quarterback controversy. Uh, JT, Stetson <laughs> Bennett IV is a starting quarterback at Georgia. Now, the hope is for Georgia that you can get uh, JT Daniels healthy and get him some work uh, in these last four games of the regular season. But I, I think Bennett has played really well and it has done nothing to lose that job. How much is how much is Stetson Bennett like more of a representation of what college football is becoming? I understand everybody wants the six two six three quarterback with five stars next to his name that can throw it, you know, fifty yards, you know, uh, you know, flat footed. But Stetson Bennett was a guy that wasn't even on campus. And you, I mean, people talk about what he's done this year. How how much or where would Georgia be without a guy like Stetson Bennett right now? Well, that that's a great question. Is what would they be? He has come so far from a year ago. And listen, what you want from a quarterback, particularly when you surround him with the kind of talent that he has at Georgia, you want him to get the ball to the right guy in space and give his playmakers a chance to make the play. You don't need a, a home run arm. You really, you really don't. But I will say this, J.T. Daniels is a wonderful quarterback. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But right now, Stetson Bennett's your quarterback because he's done everything you've asked him to do. And, uh, you know, I think that's got to be your measure of a quarterback. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, joining us here on 3 and Out. Tony, you look at the college football playoff rankings that came out. I Now that we've done this thing several years now, how do you view week one? Is it, hey, there's still five weeks of college football. If you're upset, it's probably going to play itself out. But you had Alabama with a loss ahead of a couple of teams like Michigan State, who's undefeated and just is coming off of a, a big top ten win. Well, first of all, everybody needs to take a deep breath and calm down because, as you said, we got five more weeks of this still left. Obviously, Georgia was one. I had Alabama two in my poll. Uh, but I had Cincinnati three. I thought Cincinnati had done enough uh, by beating Notre Dame, a top-ten team, uh, and playing Indiana. But the committee didn't see it that way, and that's what they're charged with doing. But the thing about Cincinnati is it's not like they've got to jump five spots to get into the playoffs. They only have to jump two slots. And you look at every team that's ranked ahead of Cincinnati right now, Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan State, Alabama, and Georgia, all five of those teams play games that they could lose between now and the end of the season. So everybody just needs to calm down and let it play out. And you're probably right. I mean, most of the time or or all the time, it kind of plays itself into an easier situation. But you have undefeated Oklahoma at eight and undefeated Wake Forest at nine. Could you foresee a scenario where one of those teams does go undefeated out of a Power Five conference, but does not get into the playoff? Yeah, I could. I, absolutely, I could see it. If, if Georgia and Alabama, let's put it this way: let's say Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think they're both getting in. If Michigan Michigan State still got to play Penn State and Ohio State, what if they go undefeated? I think they're in. And what if Oregon wins out and they would have a win over Ohio State? Uh, that at in Columbus, so that could happen. So yeah, it, it could happen. Those teams get left out. Oklahoma, the the message that the committee sent to Oklahoma was, you better get serious about what you're doing because you almost lost to Kansas. All right, Wake Wake Forest is, is in a situation where they haven't played anybody that's any good non-conference, and the committee absolutely looks at that. Wake Forest is a really good team, and Dave Kloss is a really good coach. But there, you look at their schedule. And uh, they just haven't played anybody non-conference. 
I mean, even even uh, sticking with Wake Forest, I mean, this is the same ACC that as long as Clemson is going undefeated and even even if they didn't get a lot of help from the ACC as a conference, they're in. Wake Forest just happened to be good when the rest of the conference is really, really bad. How much is Wake Forest being penalized from an ACC that maybe not is as bad as it is in the past, but we're not used to the usual suspect being this bad in Clemson? Well, and, and I think that's a fair – I think that is a, that is a fair criticism. That if Clemson was was eight and zero, nine and zero against the same schedule that Wake Forest had, Clemson would be in the top four. I think that I don't think there's any doubt about that. But you know what? The power programs have always had that advantage. Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt. Georgia gets the benefit of the doubt. Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt. That is part of it. And to me, people are getting t- making the same arguments over and over again. The solution presents itself very clearly. We need to expand the playoff to 12 teams. That check the, checks the boxes and would take care of a team like Wake Forest if they win the ACC championship. But when you got four, your options are very, very limited. Tony Barnhart joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Tony, interested to get your thoughts on uh, kind of how college football is moving because you see a lot of things uh, kind of mirroring professional sports. You've already had a number of teams who have moved on from head coaches. Georgia Southern here in the state of Georgia – just hired Clay Helton with five weeks to go so he can evaluate and recruit before the early trade deadline. Are we going to see college programs kind of do what pro programs do where they say, you know what, it's not going the way we want to go. We're throwing in the towel, going ahead and making a move and trying to get out in front uh, towards next season as early as possible. Oh, I don't think there's any question we're going to see more of this. And uh, an athletic director I greatly admired once told me that once you make the, once you make your mind up, that you're going to make a change, you need to go ahead and make it now. Uh, you know, go ahead and bring uh, uh, interim coach in and let get the other coach as quickly as you can to start evaluating your program. So, in that in that respect, I think Georgia Southern uh, did the right thing. Uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see the offense under Clay Helton because you have to figure coming from his U.S. coming from USC uh, that he's going to go more to a conventional uh, quarterback offense, but we will we'll see. Kind of tying the last couple of questions together, you think about the rise of the group of five and you think about the playoff discussions we have every year. Do you think it's inevitable that we do see a, a playoff expansion? And in your mind, will that include a direct pathway for whatever the phraseology is, a mid-major, a, a group of five type program? Yeah, uh, the, the short answer to that is yes, because th- that's why 12 works and 8 does not. If you want to guarantee some kind of access to the group of five, then what you do is you is what has been proposed previously. You go with the top six, take the six top six conference champion winners who are ranked the highest, and they get automatic bids. The other bids are, are established by the um, committee, and that way you get you take you make sure you get all the power five teams in there, but if you have six automatic bids, then a group of five conference is definitely going to get one. And that's why it's a combination of of opportunity and access. And to me, we're going to keep having these same arguments year after year uh, about, you know, this team is being, it just just gets old when it's obvious what the solution is, and that's going to a 12-team playoff. How, how much of that has to do with the fact that obviously you're going to have teams this year in Cincinnati, you've had 
TCU and Baylor in the past or maybe UCF uh, a couple of years ago. But how much of that is the fact that I know you got the big dogs of the Georgias and the Alabamas, the Oklahomas and Ohio States, but this, the talent level has kind of like been like spread out a little bit more. You finding more talent at bigger schools around the country now. Right, and that, and that is one of the benefits of expanding the playoff because, look, here's, here's the stat to keep in mind, guys. We've had seven years of the college football playoff. That's four bids every year. That's 28 bids. 28 bids that have been given out for the national playoff. 22 of those 28 have gone to only five schools. All right? That, has been, that is the issue because it gives a tremendous recruiting advantage to the, the schools that get into the playoffs every year, the, the Alabama, the Clemson, the Ohio State, whereas if, if you, more teams are in the playoff, then more coaches can go in the living rooms and say, hey, you can get to the playoff at our school. You don't have to go Clemson or Alabama or Georgia or someplace like that. So that's, that's another side of benefit of going to a larger playoff. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, our guest here on 3 and Out. Tony, we appreciate the time. Should be a fun final five weeks of the season. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care. Tony Barnhart, our guest here on 3 and Out as we look at, uh, obviously, the college football playoff, the way it's been uh, constructed. We still have five weeks to go, and it is fun fodder for us here on the show, guys. I mean, you you talk about, well, what if this team and that team, and largely, uh, again, look at the amount of teams that have to play each other inside the top ten, a lot of this is still going to shake itself out. I think the big thing is if you're looking at a non-name program like a Cincinnati and a Wake Forest and you sit back and say, knowing all this, do we still not get a chance to get in? Uh, I.e., there's a team with a loss ahead of us uh, in the standings. I think that's the discussion that drives this, BJ, is, okay, it's one thing if we don't get in. But if it plays out in teams with losses – get in ahead of us and we're sitting there as Cincinnati undefeated or what have you and the final poll comes out and we're sixth or even fifth I think it's a legitimate question to say what is it we want to do Uh, unless you do something like BYU and Coastal Carolina where you go in the middle of a season and say our bad Indiana was preseason top 15 they stink now can we swap them for somebody else I mean short of that what what else can you do And I think it's really frustrating because right now, when you look at Cincinnati, not only are they not in, and I know that really doesn't mean anything, but it does at least kind of provide a starting point for a conversation. Uh, You've already heard some people say, yeah, they're just not going to get in unless it gets really, really, really weird. And you're talking about a team that has a top 10 road win by multiple scores. You're talking about a team that did try. And again, I think you can reward efforts to schedule a good team out of the Big Ten. They had injuries and they weren't as, as, as successful as we thought, but they won that game. They've defeated UCF. I believe uh, 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 SMU is still ranked in the top 25. They have SMU at the, at, at the end of the year. You also have Houston on their schedule, who right now is like one of the first three or four teams in the others receiving votes category. Then you will have the ACT Championship. So if Cincinnati wins out, they will have a top 10 win, at least one other top 25 win in the regular season, maybe two, a big 10 win, and then a rematch over one of the Houston or uh, SMU or UCF teams that are really good in the conference title game, and you're saying there's not even a chance? You're saying it would take something crazy happening? I don't think that's the way this is supposed to work. 
BJ, this is this. It, it, no, no, it's working for the teams it's supposed to work for. It's an unfair, un, it's unfair and unequal when you talk about a Cincinnati team because that's why we're really watching, right? We want to see two things: where would Alabama be, and what about a team like Cincinnati? Where would they land? And the thing about it is this: I thought that when a team loses, they're supposed to drop. Not a team that didn't lose because Cincinnati. If a team above them loses, do they push Cincinnati down to put another team in front of them? Because I just think sometimes, you know, BJ, we expected something out of, out of college football playoff that is never shown, and that's parity. That's, that's really an equal shot to these schools that don't have the prestige, right? Like, like, like Kevin said, Wake Forest is undefeated. ACC has been bad, but as long as Clemson is good, it's fine. Wait a minute. Clemson ain't good this year? Wake Forest, sorry, we got to push y'all down. Cincinnati has been good the last two years. And if, and, if, and if Georgia don't got a kicker that got a freaking bomb in his leg, they lose that game in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. So I just think that for me, we get caught up in the usual suspects. We are the problem first because we knew that Alabama was going to be in the top four. We didn't think they'd be number two because, BJ, you said, I thought they lost. And remember last year when BYU lost to Coastal Carolina, they asked the, they asked the president, hey, man, you know, Coastal Carolina just beat BYU. Oh, yeah, that really doesn't matter. Even with them – adding them on Wednesday of that week to going to Conway. So we'll see what happens. But without 12, I'm sorry, Cincinnati. Y'all don't have a shot again. <laughs> we got more to come. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com, joins us when we return here on 3 and Out. It is 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day, college football. Final month to go in the regular season. And uh, our next guest joins us here on the program, SouthernPigskin.com. Matt Smith, who joins us. Matt, welcome. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing great. How are y'all? We are do- hey, we are doing great. BJ wanted me to say Matt Smith, notable Phillies fan, joining us on the show. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I was very happy for you guys. It's been, uh, I guess, almost 30 years, and it's uh, a long time when you go a generation. So, well-deserved and uh, quite a ride from very mediocre in the summer to ultimately on top. Hey, you're, hey we'll take it, Matt. That's uh, that's so. Uh, what we're saying, I think everybody but the Mets have won one since 2000 in the East. So it's uh, you know spreading the love around uh, a little bit there in the in uh, in the NL East. But college football not spreading the love around. I don't think too much. You got a couple of teams undefeated on the outside looking in, and I know people will say, well, well, Alabama would beat Cincinnati, but I, I didn't think that's what we were supposed to do when when we were evaluating this thing. It's not who was supposed to who could beat somebody. It was what have you done to this point to put you in that position. Correct. Yeah, that, that frustrated me more than anything. I mean, the rankings themselves the other night were, I thought, mostly fine. Had a couple issues more down ballot. But that's mostly immaterial. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Alabama could lose three games. And, if, and then if they went and played Cincinnati, they'd be favored to win, and I'd pick them to win. So I don't really see why the who would this team rather play argument makes any sense uh, with what we're doing. But, uh, but, yeah, in terms of the ultimate conclusion, I guess there's still a shot. We end up with four of the, of the top five from the preseason uh, with Ohio State, Oklahoma, and then Alabama and Georgia. Alabama wins uh, the SEC championship game. So, uh, personally, I'd rather not see that. I'd, I'd like to see some new blood, not because any of those teams probably have a chance to win it all, um, but just to see something fresh. I think this sport needs a jolt like that. Um, and November is at least set up to be fun. Whether that's the ultimate outcome or not, I don't think that's any set in stone like it probably has seemed to be at this time in years past. So, I'm really excited for November. I think we're in a pretty good spot with what we've seen so far with some of the games we have left throughout the nation and looking forward to a wild uh, next 30 days here. 
Well, and, and Matt, I got to give you credit. Your opening line to your Week 10 primer on Southern Pigskin said, they remember November as the great philosopher Houston Dale Nutt once procla- proclaimed. And uh, you were, of course, right. But is there – I mean, could it get weird in the SEC? I mean, for as much as we look at it and go, Georgia-Alabama, I, I, I don't think Missouri is going to test Georgia, but could Georgia have some issues against Tennessee? Could Alabama have some issues in the Iron Bowl? Or do you think, at the top at least, we pretty much – have a uh, kind of kind of firm situation there with Alabama and Georgia. No, I think Alabama could absolutely get pushed in the Iron Bowl. They've lost three of their last four down there. Jordan Hare, there's that, that Auburn magic for whatever reason the past couple of years. Some of, some of the calls that seem to have gone their way. So, um, yeah, I think that would that should be a really competitive game. I don't see any challenge for Georgia. I think Tennessee will be interesting if they can stretch the field. Um, maybe the one area you could at least have some success against this Georgia defense is throwing deep if you can protect the quarterback long enough to be able to do that. So, I mean, Georgia's going to outscore them, certainly. I don't think there's any real danger in that game, but an interesting kind of preview of what how some better teams than Tennessee might choose to attack Georgia come SEC title game time, come playoff time. So I think we ultimately get there. But yeah, and no one's really talking about Arkansas right now. They're kind of out of sight, out of mind with a, an off week and an FCS game. Uh, Alabama will see them in a couple weeks. I don't see that game being a very competitive contest, but I wouldn't write off Arkansas just yet. I mean, they did beat A&M. They've had some good wins. They should probably should have beaten Ole Miss in that crazy game with the ball in the air on the last play of the game. So I think Alabama's still got some challenges, and they got some kinks to work out. Uh, that secondary has been very disappointing throughout the year. We saw Tennessee pick them apart pretty good. So with a guy like Traylon Burks, I think there's some uh, – potential concerns going into that game. So, yeah, we'll see if Alabama can clean it up a bit and we get that classic SEC title game again between the Dogs and Tide. But, uh, yeah, I think Georgia's fine. But Alabama, no, still a couple couple tests. And it certainly wouldn't shock me if ultimately it is Auburn or even Texas A&M uh, taking a shot at the Dogs in Atlanta. And, man, I mean, uh, you know, going back to something you said earlier about, you know, wanting to see some new blood. I mean, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, the college football playoff, uh, goes are we are we looking for chaos or are teams rooting for Auburn or teams rooting for a uh, Tennessee or maybe like a you know a may, maybe like a maybe Ohio State to, uh, to have another loss to to kind of get some guys in there because let's face it I mean when you think about Michigan State and what they're doing you think about Cincinnati who's waving the flag for the G5s what is it going to take chaos wise for us to see some you know some new guys uh, kind of enter into this college football playoff at the end of the year. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're definitely rooting for Georgia the rest of the way because they can probably wipe out the chance of a second SEC team. Um, so I think Georgia going 13-0 and is good news for Cincinnati. I think Oklahoma, I'm not sure if Oklahoma has a mulligan. I mean, if they're 13-0, and they're fine. I think someone mentioned it on the, on the ESPN show the other night where they could get left out at 13-0. and that, That's not happening with a couple top 15 road games left in the Big 12 title game. But I think one loss, Oklahoma, I don't think they're a lock to get in over Cincinnati, especially if you have an 11-1 top-10 Notre Dame team up there. Um, so I think that would help them. I think Michigan State probably winning the Big tw- or let's say the Big Ten, only one Big Ten team having one or fewer losses. Um, I think Ohio State winning it at 12-1, and and then Michigan State having only a close loss to Ohio State could put Cincinnati in peril. Um, so those are a couple things to watch for. Oregon losing would take out the Pac-12. Wake Forest losing. I think Cincinnati would even have a shot over an unbeaten Wake Forest. I given they'd have a, a really big win against Notre Dame. And Wake Forest likely to not even have a, a top 20 win per se. So those are the things to watch. Uh, certainly Georgia beating Alabama or whoever emerges from the SEC West is probably the most critical part 
I still think it's close to 50-50 at 13-0 Cincinnati gets in, so it'll be fun to watch. Um, again, I don't think they're a national title contender per se, but I think that'd be a good story. I think we saw the roadmap being laid out for them at the start of the season, having a couple big games, and I think we're to the point now where we can see it happening. So I was kind of surprised at the backlash to Cincinnati being number six. I mean, it didn't matter if they were one spot ahead of Ohio State or one spot behind Ohio State. Uh, we know Ohio State, if they went out, is going to pass Cincinnati regardless of where they started. But overall, I think the Bearcats are in a decent spot. And uh, I think those couple things I laid out, if they come to fruition, I think the Bearcats could ultimately be there should they not stumble uh, with themselves throwing a couple tricky games left with SMU and then probably either Houston or, or SMU a second time. I got to say, you have more faith in the committee than I do, uh, Matt. I, I feel like Houston, uh, Cincinnati at number six, much easier to keep them out than put them in and push them out, uh, given kind of the backlash. Uh, easier to say, hey, they were never there uh, and they were out instead of having the, the TCU-Baylor discussion of, hey, we won all of our games, we were in, and now we're out. I, I, I don't have any faith that Cincinnati's got a shot at this thing. Uh, would you have faith that Wake Forest has a shot at this? No, I've, and I've actually said on the show, Wake Forest has no chance. And, and, and that's okay. if they go 13-0. and Why? Because they're Wake Forest. I, I mean, and that's that's uh, just the way I, I see the committee looking at them. So it's it's, more of, okay, so more of a brand than a, a group. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think that's fair. Um, they answered ESPN at the end of the day, and ESPN wants Ohio State, not Wake Forest. So uh, that's a fair point. Maybe I am naive, but, you know, I'm still hopeful, and I think just having that – massive quality win which is new compared to any of the previous g5 contenders like ucf in years past um they didn't have a, a top 10 top 15 double digit road win on that resume is that going to matter I, i'd like to think it would maybe you're right and ultimately won't but to me right now i think they got a shot and i'm going to convince myself they do and it'll make november a lot more fun i think matt uh, looking at the sec i'm going to ask this question for ben what, what, what is going on at Florida, and how would you evaluate Dan Mullen's job security? I, I wouldn't call it on the hot seat yet. If, if they lose Saturday night in Columbia, I think he definitely could be on the hot seat. But um, it was weird. That was a very weird press conference on Monday. But to me, are they just a team who lost to perhaps the two best teams in the country and then gave away a game on special teams at Kentucky? Maybe they're just a, an okay, decent team. It's been the product of a tough schedule, and, and they'll right the ship here and and kick the tails of some bad teams and finish 8-4, and, four and you know, they'll, they'll be okay a year removed from an SEC East title. But, yeah, we're not even 365 days from them beating Georgia by 16 points in last year's cocktail party. And, and now we're here at 4-4, four and four, and does Mullen want out? And if James Franklin goes to USC, could Mullen want to go back to the Northeast? Uh, I always thought he'd be a decent NFL coach just because I thought he didn't really like recruiting. Uh, but that would have come on the heels of some successful seasons at Florida and maybe winning an SEC title, not because he's failing. Um, but if Jimmy Sexton can work some magic now, maybe maybe that becomes in, comes into play for the Gators. But, uh yeah, if they write the ship here and go 4-0 down the stretch, I think everything's fine. Obviously, fine in, in uh, relatively speaking in terms of not being on, on par with Georgia. That is a problem for the foreseeable future. And Kirby's always going to be a better recruiter than Dan. We know that, and it's on Dan to, to win it on Saturdays, um, not on the trail. So where that, where that leads, I don't know. I don't see much danger on Saturday night, but should something go wrong and South Carolina win that game, then, then yeah, I think there is a chance that, that he's not back in 22 because Florida, Florida doesn't want him back. But I also do think there's a shot maybe he is looking for an escape route, get that fresh start, kind of reset the button there, maybe at a place like Penn State. Um, you know, they have a behemoth to deal with up there, too. He's not he can get away from Georgia, but then you got Ohio State there. So I don't know if that's the preferred route. I don't think the NFL is really in play. 
um, because of his failure this year. Again, I think that would have come on the heels of either last year or maybe winning an SEC title. So it's a mess right now. But um, I, I don't know where it ultimately leads, but I do expect him back, barring something crazy over the last month with the loss to, to South Carolina or Missouri, perhaps. And man, speaking of a mess, I mean, when you think about when you think about these quarterbacks in the SEC this year, I mean, a lot of new faces. Stetson Bennett, you know, obviously playing over JT Daniels, Anthony Richardson, depending on his health, is probably going to get the start off. Emory Jones, Miles Brennan is already in the transfer portal. Out of you know, Emory Jones, uh, JT Daniels, maybe even uh, you know, obviously Miles Brennan. These guys are going to, you know, you already got one of the transfer portal. Do you see uh, JT Daniels or even Emory Jones being back at, at Florida, Georgia next year? That's a good question. Um, I don't expect both Jones and Richardson back next year. I, I will definitely say that. I think one of them goes, which one it is. I think that'll play out over the next 30 days or so. Daniels and Bennett is interesting because, you know, we thought Daniels at some point would, he might just leave for the NFL. I know he has some more eligibility, but certainly with not playing very much this year, I don't think that's on the table. And I think we're kind of close to the time. I know you've been a, a Bennett guy and all along here, Ben. I think where if they're going to put Daniels back in, it kind of has to happen maybe this week or next week. Um, if you think he's going to get some work in there and then be ready to probably play Alabama in the SEC title game. But they might just roll with Bennett, and that's, that's kind of surprising to me. He's done pretty well for the most part. I still I saw a couple bad throws last week that were interceptions I didn't like, and that's what concerns me. If they run into a defense that figures out this running game and then we get into a tight, low-scoring battle, and I kind of still want Daniels out there, but uh, I, I get the support for Bennett and what he's done throughout this last year and this year. So, I mean, the portal's going to be crazy. We know that as soon as the immediate eligibility stuff kicked in, it's going to be wild. And some of those guys are going to find homes in the G5. That's probably where Miles Brennan goes. But if, if JT Daniels is available, I mean, that's still a former five-star recruit. Um, he could land somewhere within the conference as well if he wants to or he wants to try the NFL route, given he's already moved once. I don't know. But uh, we've seen the coaching carousel. We know that's going to be crazy. It already is. And I think uh, no different for the quarterback transfer portal coming up here uh, in the wintertime. Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, our guest here on a 3 and Out. Matt, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Just finished the book as well. It was a wonderful read. Great job by uh, both BJ and Ben on that. Now, Matt, before you go, I, I believe – I don't know this, but from what BJ and Ben were telling me, you may have been the first copy out there because the day it came out, Ben and BJ are like, hey, it just came out, and you posted that you got it. I was like, so you may have had copy number one before anybody else got it. Uh, I will take that. I'd have preferred copy number 84, just <laughs> but uh, number one's pretty good too. So. No, Matt. Hey Matt, man, I listen. I appreciate you taking, you know, taking the time to, uh, to, to read the book and that whatever you didn't like in there, that's BJ wrote it. So whatever <laughs> you did like, that was contributed by me. Whatever you didn't like, that'll be BJ. But no, man, I always appreciate the poor big time. Your support, big time. Oh, that's great. And knowing the highlights of your story, it was nice filling in, uh, filling in the gap with some details and the context and all that. So really impressive story, and uh, happy to call you a friend. Matt Smith, SouthernPigskin.com. Appreciate it, Matt. We'll talk soon. All right, yeah, we'll get back to fighting next week. That was too much. <laughs> See you, Matt Smith, uh, joining us here. We'll come back with more 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out, on this Thursday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. And we talked with Tony Barnhart this hour, Matt Smith this hour about the college football playoff. And, again, we talk about Wake Forest. We talk about Cincinnati. And I don't want to dive into the, you know, the credentials of Cincinnati or Wake Forest necessarily but you know i said to matt bj and ben look i don't I, I think by leaving cincinnati out it's easier to keep them out than put them in there 
uh, if you had put them at three or four in this first poll, had they won out, and there's a good possibility they might, how do you take them out after the TCU and Baylor fiasco uh, of way back when? I think it's easier to keep them out now and just never let them in there, uh, potentially. Wake Forest, I, I think there's something to be said for brand equity in in the college football playoff. And again, I will, I will liken this to basketball, uh, BJ and Ben, when I say this. The college basketball committee picks the 68 teams. The 64 teams and the four teams that aren't really in the tournament. Just had to get that dig in for BJ, sorry. But by and large, the hope is, hey, the Dukes, the Carolinas, the Gonzagas, the Kansas, at least three of the four top number one seeds are going to be there despite all the upsets. And you're going to get a good Final Four. But what happens when a VCU comes from the play-in game and makes the Final Four? Or a Loyola Chicago? Oh, it's a nice story, but I mean, you know. come. On. They're doing it on the basketball court. What else do you want to do? And I think the same thing applies. And I've said this, and people say I'm crazy. Out of the ACC, they have 14 teams. I think really only about five could make the college football playoff. Given their who they are, what their name is, and that's going 13-0. and 0. And people go, no, you're crazy. No, if Duke goes 13-0 and 0 and wins the ACC, people will be going, what is wrong with the ACC? That not who did Duke beat, what is wrong with the ACC? Cincinnati, same thing. Well, you look at their strength of schedule. They beat a top 10 Notre Dame team. I, I think when it comes to certain teams and programs, you are looking, as Ben likes to say with coaching, more for teams. They are looking for reasons to keep you out, not for reasons to put you in, uh, if you are certain programs. Trust me, there are certain programs in the Pac-12 they do not want making the college football playoff. There are certain programs in the SEC that would not make the college Do you think Vanderbilt goes 13-0, they're getting in, and maybe that's an extreme example. But if Vanderbilt, given their history, goes 13-0, a lot of people go, well, maybe the SEC is just not what it is. And it's Vanderbilt who can't even fill up their home stadium. Now we're going to send them to a neutral site to try to sell tickets and interest and Trust me, I think there are certain teams and brands they will be looking for a reason to keep you out, not reasons to put you in. No, I agree. And and I think even with Wake Forest, one thing that I've struggled with, because I understand that Wake Forest does not have a top 25 win. Now, we're going to have to see what happens. We're not talking about having a top 10 win. They're but BJ, not have that. BJ, BJ, I want, to be, I want to be clear, though. I am not here crying for Wake Forest. I've been on record saying they're not going to get in, and I understand that. I'm simply saying... There's never going to be a way that Wake Forest could get in. No, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm talking about this season with Wake Forest, okay? Maybe, Cle- I mean, maybe Clemson gets back in the top 25. I don't know, maybe NC State with a win gets back in the top 25. Maybe Pitt, if they went out and meet in the ACC championship game, gets back in the top 25. But even with the resume they have, right? Let, last couple of years, under Jeff Munkin, Army's been a good program. They have been a national program. Army has been in the national top 25. They've been in bowl games. They've gone toe-to-toe with Oklahoma, and, and, and they've, they've been a really good program. I think if – let's just take Notre Dame, for example. Notre Dame is one spot behind Wake Forest in the college football playoff rankings. If Notre Dame goes to Army and drops 70, drops 70, we're saying, wow, man, that's, that's an impressive performance from Notre Dame. Wake Forest had a top 10 defense – or a – uh, uh, Army had a top 10 defense. Army's been a consistent, at worst, top 30, top 35 program. That's a really good win for Notre Dame. But when it's Wake Forest, you're like, yeah, they beat Army. 
And it's just, it, it, it's not the same. And I think if some of the other programs on this list, if Michigan State even, or Michigan, were to go to Army and drop 70, an Army defense that was giving up 15 points per game and drop 70, I think there'd be a lot more fanfare around that win. That is a quality win. It is a, is it, is it a top 25 win? No. Is it a top 25-esque win? Yes. And it's like, it frustrates me that Wake Forest gets no credit for that. None. And you drop 70 on Army. I mean, and one at Army. I, I, I don't think there are a number of teams in the top 25. If they play Army, they're losing. They are losing to Army. So I just think even with the wins you have on the resume, if it's a win for one of the traditional powers, it's looked differently than if it's Wake Forest who has that same win. BJ, implicit bias, purposeful bias, whatever you want to call it, we, we do this every year, right? We always rank, but before the season starts, we go, how many is it, Kevin? Is it seven this year? Is it eight this year? And it's always the same seven, eight. Three or four of them going to come out of the SEC. <clears throat> Ohio State. Uh, Oklahoma. Maybe a Pac-12. Oregon. Somebody would go, what about Wake Forest and ACC? What? What about North Carolina State and ACC? What? Oh, what about Virginia and ACC? No. It's like, well, you it either college football either is or it isn't, and the college football playoff lets you know, let us know, who they think is credible, who they think is noteworthy, who they think that the world will want to see, the, the nation will want to see. BJ, if we just if we just putting all the teams on the table. Nope, I mean just you got okay. It's a table. It got Alabama on it. It got Georgia on it. It got Clemson on it. It got Cincinnati on it. It got Notre Dame on it. You're never picking Cincinnati out of that group. But then we go, hey man, let the season play out. All right. Notre Dame is only impressive when a team that is credible beats them, not a team that is not credible. Since that beat them, eh. Just like last year. Coach Carolina, they had a good season, man. They beat BYU, eh. And to me, that's where it is. It's almost like saying, okay, Alabama loses. It doesn't even matter. No, 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 no. Because Texas and man, I mean, that's Jimbo Fisher. I mean, he won the national championship, you know, at Florida State. They just give his whole resume. But if Notre, Dame, if Notre Dame, like you said, BJ, if Notre Dame plays Clemson and they drop 60, did you see what? It just, it's, these narratives are already built in. Unfortunately for Cincinnati, most people, one, don't know they play football because when they see Cincinnati in the top seven, they're like, Cincinnati got a football? Yes. They play football in Cincinnati? Yes. And I'm not talking about the Bengals. Then Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons? Yeah. Undefeated. Where's Clemson? I'm telling you. It's not that you're relevant. It's how long you have been relevant. If you have just gotten relevant, you just got to the party, they invited all these teams to the party. When Wake Forest got to the door, they go, how the hell y'all get this RSVP? <laughs> I'm that, 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 that's what they're asking. They're like, dude, we still the these. And that's what I think, Kevin. It's almost like Kevin makes a point. It's like this. If, <laughs> if Vanderbilt goes undefeated, there will not be an SEC uh, representation that year. Ain't something dramatically bad. Has happened, but you're telling me what Wake Forest is finally good. The best team in ACC, no one cares. I mean, th th just think about that because we kept saying, hey, man, Clemson don't play nobody. Yeah, but they Clemson, though. They got Trevor Lawrence. They got Deshaun Watson. They got, you know, Travis Etienne. What about DJU? What about when they bad? I just, I just, I knew it was going to be like this, but BJ, we did it to ourselves. We always act like Kevin. We always, we know how this, we know how this, uh, how this movie ends. We just hope 
that you know some kind of way to direct to put a put you know uh, put a little twist in there. And we'll see again a lot of football. It may all be for naught at the end of the year, but we'll see how it plays out. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Be back here three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Tomorrow we'll have Jared Binko on the program. BJ and Ben talking about. Uh, Clay Helton, who was introduced earlier today in Statesboro as the newest head coach at Georgia Southern. Exciting. Uh, you know, to think about the future at Georgia Southern, I thought an impressive introductory press conference and uh, really excited to get Jared Binko's perspective on uh, a national name like like Clay Helton, uh, interviewing him, talking with him, bringing him to Statesboro, and kind of kind of what, what happens now moving forward when you think about a national marketing campaign uh, that's going on now for the Eagles. It's just kind of what the vision is moving forward. New coach, new energy. Now Jared Bingo Kevin got to have uh old Coach Helton over for that uh for that good good barbecue. Hopefully he's been you know working on it since you know uh Jared Bingo says as long as his play his uh, his meat do not look like Lincoln Riley's. We'll <laughs> yes. see what happens with that. I think Jared Bingo's got that part uh, got that part covered uh, at the end of the day, and we should have Coach Helton on next week uh, here on the program. So looking forward to uh, that. Appreciate Tony Barnhart. And Matt Smith joining us here uh, in hour number three, talking uh, college football, college football playoff. Obviously, a lot of football still will be played, and we'll get a lot of that sorted out uh, at the end of the day uh, before the season comes to an end. We'll see you tomorrow, a Friday edition of 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio on ESPN Coastal.